Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the book of Acts. Today we discuss the bittersweet final meeting between Paul and the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. James concludes by entreating all of us towards self-reflection as to our love and devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Okay, so today we are finishing chapter 20. So we are going to start at uh, verse 17 until the end of the chapter. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of, all, of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend, to you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. He who has ears to hear the word of God. Let him hear it. Okay, so this is obviously a very solemn occasion which, uh, which he meets with these elders. Um, he spent three years there. Remember when we looked at the account in Ephesus, Luke had mentioned that he had spent two years. Obviously, after he had left there, he's kind of coming back and forth. Um, but on his way back to Jerusalem, remember we saw that he went through uh, Macedonia went back to Philippi and those areas, and then he was going to the coastlands of Asia down to Miletus. Miletus is pretty close to the coast um, of Asia. It's about 30 miles south of Ephesus, so it's not that long of a journey, but he calls them to himself um, for this specific reason. Uh, again, Ephesus is a great church, um, as, as I've mentioned, as we can see in his epistle to the Ephesians, a uh, very great and faithful church, um, which has its own problems, but uh, they are a faithful church. So he, he brings them to him to really give this departing 
um, dialogue, really. I mean, it begins with him giving a testimony. So ultimately, this whole part is Paul's testimony to these Ephesian elders. Now, now also, I, I just want to say as well, uh, Christ also n knew about his pending death when he reached Jerusalem, which and he was telling his apostles that. And so it's kind of the same thing with his apostle. You know, he's doing the same things, same thing with these elders. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but he does know that they will see his face no more. The Spirit continues to tell him that he will be in chains and, uh, you know, tribulations are coming his way. And so he knows that. So he's given this testimony. Now, testimonies can do a number of things. Uh, one, uh, one thing a testimony can do is pre-evangelize. Pre Remember, I had told you the testimony of Christ is the testimony that saves, right? So ultimately, the, 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 the thing in which we're meant to go to, meant to actually preach and testify to people, is the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. But a lot of times, a good way of getting there is giving our own conversion experience, or even something that we've that we've experienced along our walk with God. Testimony can also serve as you know a a, a boon for ourselves. You know, like I told, mentioned last week, when we when we have an experience, we anoint it with oil and remember it for the rest of our lives. And same thing. So our testimonies can testify to ourselves as well about God's. Uh, uh, abundant uh, faithfulness and it can also testify to others you know and that's what Paul is doing in this account he's not braggadocious he's not coming to these people and saying hey you've seen how awesome I was no he, he's he's making a point first of all you know that the uh, uh, bloods the blood of men is not on my head you know I've been I've, I've given you the whole counsel of God we'll get there um, but He's testifying to them, first of all, to uh, assert his apostolic authority and to encourage them, though, to exhort them to do likewise, to stay strong in the faith, take heed to yourselves and to the flock. We'll get to that. But he is basically just exhorting them to practice just like him. If, you know, <laughs> Christ is too great you know, uh, of an example, we will never be like Christ, but we can be like Paul. In, in, in his faithfulness and his uh, dedication, his, his determination to preach the gospel. So he starts with, from well, he sent uh, for the elders, obviously, and when they had come to him, he says, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. So that's his preface. And now he's going to get into all, all of the, what that entails. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So, Obviously, this is his humble servant service to the Lord. That's any service to God is a humble service to God. I mean, obviously, if we're boastful, boastfully serving, if we're proud in serving, remember when we looked at the love chapter and the necessity of humility in and through love. You can't have love without humility. You can't have humility without love. So our service to our Lord Jesus, if we love Him, will only and can only be humble. So he. His service is humble, and he's again exhorting these men to do likewise. Okay, now Luke doesn't record really any weeping. 
that I that I've seen from Paul. Paul does talk about he, he his weeping and his tears and his trials. He talks about that in his letters as well. But we've seen many accounts which would induce tears from him when Sosthenes was beaten. You know, when people took his dead, when uh, um, Jonathan had to pay the, the bounty, basically. I'm sure he wept over that. When any, whenever anybody else suffered, I'm sure he wept over that. His departure with uh, uh, Barnabas, I'm sure he wept over that. His little disagreement with him and, and even uh, John Mark going away. Uh, the hostility that he got from his brothers, the Jews. You know, many, many reasons for, uh, for tears. We've seen many trials, so that part is obvious. You know, specifically from the Jews, we've seen that over and over and over again. Um, verse 20. How I kept nothing, uh, nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So we've ne we need to see the charity of Paul. Char the, the, Paul goes, he holds nothing back. Uh, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. So we kept nothing back that was helpful. Another good translation of this would be profitable. So that which enriches us in the grace of God, not, not just, you know, that assists us along the way, but really fills us with his presence, that which is helpful to you, that which really fills and feeds your soul, the word of God, the testimony of God, that is what I've, I've been proclaiming to you, the, the, that which is helpful, that which is profitable. I, I, you know, I didn't give you any of this, this, this seemingly esoteric and unnecessary information. I could have gone on and on and on into a bunch of secondary doctrinal issues that can be debated from century to century, but he did not do that. He's only given to them and given them that which is actually profitable, that which will engender and manifest Christ in and through them. But again, ultimately his 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 abundant charity. He did this publicly from house to house. So it wasn't difficult to find. You know, he didn't hide away somewhere. He didn't do this in a corner in some dark street down the alley. He did this openly, publicly, went from welcoming house to welcoming house. To proclaim to them the salvation of Christ. Um, uh, yeah, again, uh, taught you publicly, and he held nothing back, so he didn't narrow his subject, or, you know, uh, he didn't hold anything back. Um, testifying to Jews, so verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Repentance, which is basically the baptism of John. Remember, that was, that was the baptism of repentance. So it's a turning from and then and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the baptism of Jesus. The baptism, the baptism that which baptizes us into him. He cleanses us into, inside and out. And then he fills us with himself. And, and we uh, uh, you know, uh, are in him as well. Again, because we are his people. And he is our Savior. It's a beautiful mutual relationship. Um, okay, now let's, yeah, okay. So testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So remember, when he's talking about the Jews and the Greeks, this basically means the whole world. The, the, the redemptive history only applied to Israel for all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant until Christ came. And then Christ came, and now salvation is meant to go into the ends of the earth. So he is preaching without prejudice. He will preach to all men and women, 
everyone who will hear him, he is preaching to. So this is a global outreach. This is, his, this is the missionary work that Jesus has, has commanded his disciples and his apostles to do. Tarry in Jerusalem, you know, go out into all Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's what Paul is doing. Everywhere he goes, he goes into the synagogue first, just like because he is following the mandate of his Lord. He's going to the Jew first. Once he's rejected, then he goes to the Gentile. There is not a man or woman that Paul will not preach to. His salvation is universal in that respect, right? In that respect, the, the gospel should and can be shared to all the world. It doesn't mean it applies to all the world. Christ's salvation has the power enough to save all men and women. But it is only His providence and it is only by His will that men and women are saved. Okay? But the preaching of the gospel must be, must go to the ends of the earth. Not one we are meant to preach until all men and women hear His gospel. So, I also want to make the point that there are, there are no areas, you know, there, there are places, there are events, there are occasions sometimes where it's basically, it seems like it's the devil's den, you know, it's just filled with nothing but just complete degenerate men and women, you know, just the evil of the evil, you know, I don't know if you, you can think of something like a Las Vegas, you know, in the crazy part of Las Vegas at night, that kind of a thing, where you just don't, where you think, you might think that these people have no hope. That is not the case. Remember, Paul even went to Corinth. Then that was well that was known for its sexual immorality, for its deviancy in that regard. And he goes there and he's very faithful to them and he keeps on sending them letters. Remember, he sent them four. We have two in the New Testament, but he sent them four. And he continued to preach to them, to testify to them, to to fill them, to feed them. Okay? So never, whenever you no matter where you are however far, however deep in degeneracy man or woman may be, so the, their evil might be very, very, very powerful. That is not more powerful than the salvation of our God. Men and women might be very, very, very evil, might just be so determined to be evil. They are not outside of the infinite stretching arms of our Savior. He is powerful enough to save anybody, so never think you're in the midst of people who He cannot save. He might not choose to, and that's one thing, but you're never in the company of somebody He cannot save. That's essential to recognize. The other side of that, I do want us to turn to, let's turn to Matthew chapter 15, verses 20, verse 21 to 28. Talk about the Syrophoenician woman. This account is also in Mark uh, 7. And um, you can read that on your own. It just kind of gives other details as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there, departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. 
But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Again, oh my God. This, this is a sermon in and of itself. It is a wonderful, wonderful story of this, this Syrophoenician woman, this Syrian woman, basically, part of Tyre and Sidon, which throughout the Bible is, is going to incur great judgment, okay? To put it simply. And she comes. She comes so Jesus goes to Tyre, this region of Tyre and Sidon. In Mark it says... He wanted to keep keep it secret. He didn't want anybody to know that he was there. But, you know, it's Jesus. So people find out about it. And so this this woman already believes. She knows this is the, he is the savior. So he she comes and she and she cries out. Um Have mercy on me, O, o Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. He just ignored her. He just ignored her. Okay, let, let, hang on. <laughs> and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this sounds really cruel of Jesus, right? We see him so meek and so mild and so compassionate. But here, he's, he, he doesn't even respond to her at first. Okay? And then his disciples are saying, Send her away. Get rid of this woman. She keeps on coming after us. Will you just tell her to go away? And he's and he tells her. He he says, uh, "I was I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which we've talked about, which we've mentioned over and over and over again." Then she came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, help me." So she's like, "That's all well and good. I appreciate. I, I I get it. I know you're you're sent just for the the just for Israel. So I that's fine. You're still Lord." So I'm going to worship you. That, that's fine. You're just sent for, for the house of Israel. That, that's, that's great. But you are Lord. So I'm worshiping you. And I still implore you, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. There's, there's a lot there again, but we're just looking at this woman. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs from, which fall from their master's table. So, dogs were unclean in the East back in this day, but children, I mean, children love dogs, right? So, on occasion, the little dog would get be granted access into the house to play with the kids or whatever. And what would happen is, while they're eating, the, the kids aren't feeding necessarily the dogs, but, you know, on occasion, the crumb will fall, and by then, you know, you'll let the dog eat it, you know, I mean, it's just a crumb, you're not going to eat it, you know, that kind of a thing. So he's saying, you know, uh, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs, right? That wouldn't be good to take from the child to give to the dog, that wouldn't be good at all. And she said, yes, Lord, she agrees. <laughs> Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She's basically saying, absolutely, I am your little dog, I am that little dog. I'm not a child. It's kind of like the prodigal son, right? When he came and he was actually contrite, he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But this woman's faith is far more. So she even says, uh, um, uh, it is not good. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs 
So yeah, great. I am a little dog. You're right. You know, I understand your <laughs> this seems insulting and maybe I should be kind of offended and everything, but I'm not. I I'm not. I am a little dog. I understand. That's great. But but even then, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's she knows he is the master. He is the Lord. That's the same word, master and lord. He is Lord. Okay? So there are many people also pressing into the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about that. There are many outside of the church who truly, truly are seeking and get turned away from the church. And sometimes they'll, 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 they'll implore Jesus himself. They'll implore God, God, I am a little dog. I am nothing. I, I, but I, I, I love your children. You know, uh, and I want to be part of your children, but, but right now I'm just a little dog. And I just beg, you're still Lord, you're still Master. Whatever I am, wherever I am, be my Lord. So there are people who are pressing in that we ought to recognize and bring into the fold. Jesus treats her this way because so sometimes he's very tender with his sheep to, to salvation. But sometimes to test the faith, to make sure the faith is genuine, and to give her a testimony. This is a great ad hominem argument from this Syrophoenician woman to the Lord of glory. And she wins the argument. And basically he says, let it be so as you desire. Basically, Jesus basically says, your will be done according to what you have said. That is, a, that is beautiful. Great is your faith. I, I haven't found this faith anywhere in Israel. Yeah, I'm called to just the house of Israel, but you have greater faith than any of these. So let it be done. Your will be done. What a beautiful thing. Christ has condescended so much to, to let it be according to this woman's uh, will because her faith is according to his will. So he even says, your faith is fantastic. I, I haven't seen this in anyone. You've been tested, you've been tried, and you've been found faithful. Go, your daughter's well. You know, that's what she was seeking. The, the heart of a mother, which again, God willing, when we look at that narrative specifically, we will go into more, far more detail. There's nothing quite like the uh, love of a mother, as many of us know. Yeah, but we'll talk about that. Okay. All right. Okay, so verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So this is captivity. This goes, goes into his captivity, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. However, he starts with saying, and see, I know I go, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. So he's basically fastened. Remember, we talked about that, him being established like a planted tree by the rivers of water, right? So he's fixed, he's established in the spirit, but he's bound by the spirit. So that which, that which signifies our, our bondage, our unwanted bondage in one way, you know, if when we're shackled by our enemy or by persecution and all the rest, but there is a shackling, there is, is, there is somewhat of an arresting of the spirit, but it's a gracious thing. It's a gracious and wonderful thing to be chained to a spirit. You know, it's, one, it's a freedom thing. But it is a connection. It is, it, it is an unbreakable link between us and the Spirit, between we and the Spirit. That's what, that's what he's saying. Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He is ever with me, and he has never forsaken me. 
I go bound in the Spirit to be bound by men, ultimately. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I have no idea. But the Spirit continues to testify to me. Chains await me. Tribulations await me. But right now, I don't count that anything because I have the Spirit. I have God's Spirit, the Spirit of God, bound up within me. I'm just filled with His uh, um, righteous Spirit. Okay. So, as Paul testifies uh, to Christ in every city, so the Spirit, so... Uh, see, now I'll go about, yeah. Uh, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So, again, Paul is testifying in each city to Christ and to the Spirit, and the Spirit is testifying to Paul what he's, what he's going to be, what he should expect, basically, what's coming his way. Um, yeah, because... Remember, God had testified to Paul that he was going to endure many trials and tribulations, and God is faithful to his promise, even, even those. All right, so 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. So this has to do with his selflessness. Again, going back to the charity, but Paul, Paul has died to Christ, so that now that he now he lives in and for him, his whole life is his ministry now. Christ has called him to this purpose. This is your life. This is your purpose. This is the meaning of your life. Thanks be to God, but this is your life in me and your ministry. That's your life. And that's what his that's why he says, uh, none of these things move me. <laughs> I'm immovable. None of these things move me. <laughs> I'm fastened to Christ. I'm chained to Christ. Um, uh, none of things move, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish the race. Okay, so Paul wants to finish the race with joy. In, in 2 Timothy, he writes to, to Timothy, this is pending his martyrdom. Paul knows he's going to be executed soon when he writes to Timothy the second time. And he writes, chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid, for me, laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give, give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So let's just talk about this Greek word appearing. Uh, so the end, another translation could be radiance. The, the Greek is epiphania, uh, which, from which we get the word epiphany, which uh, actually the Catholic Church celebrates in uh, where the Magi came. You know, basically it's an epiphany kind of a thing that, the, that God came. Um, it's a manifestation uh, of a divine or supernatural being, a moment of sudden revelation or insight. So that's, that's what he's saying, you know, uh, in, in that um, verse 2 Timothy. Uh, Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, I'm going to read a few accounts where this same word appearing, one time it's used as brightness. But just so we can get a glimpse into what he's saying to Timothy in this, in this account. Uh, so, 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says, And then the lawless, none, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with his, the brightness of his coming. So, his appearing is obviously his appearing, his, his incarnation, and his, his impending, 
uh, return. Okay, so that's what he's talking about there, the brightness of his coming, his radiance in coming, because he is the light of the world. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. That's obviously the end of that one. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through uh, 12 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering uh, for for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So, 2 Timothy, this is the last one I'm going to read to you. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. So this is just before the part that I read to you in the beginning, that first part where he's finishing the race. He, he, um, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in, in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound do doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And that's what he's going to tell these elders. That's why I wanted to end it up with that part. Basically, he's warning them. That people will, will, will come into your midst and you're, you're going to have people desire for people, for these savage wolves to come in because they just desire to have their ears tickled. So he's warning the, uh, Timothy, beware of this. Um, so this appearing, again, is looking back to the incarnation uh, and looking forward to its culmination. The race is his ministry. Okay? Uh, and remember, one cannot gain the, count, the crown unless he races according to the rules. So only if he follows the will of Christ will he actually finish the race. And is he truly running the race? Um, so even so, Paul runs his race in absolute determination under Christ. Another thing about a race, if you're not exhausted at the end, you obviously haven't been racing. When you race, when you run a race, you give it your all the entire time. You don't take a break. You don't, you don't, you know, kind of start jogging for a second. You run as hard as you can, as fast as you can, until you're done. Until you're done. So the end, by the end of his ministry, he's at, at the point of some sort of exhaustion. Basically, though, he is looking at the end. The finish line is just before him, and the crown which Christ is giving him is awaiting him. The glorious crown which is laid up for him by Christ's procurement. And, and that's the race he's, he's, he's finishing. Um, we're in a race against time. Okay, so 25, okay, verse 25. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. 
So again, he might not know what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, but he knows whatever happens, they will see his face no more. We've got to pause to just consider this because this is, goes both ways, right? This probably breaks the heart of Paul, and it definitely breaks the heart of his hearers, the elders who's, who've been under his wonderful and compassionate ministry this whole time. But these are, these are the people who's, who he's been feeding. Look, you know, when you're a you, you really do have a sincere and true and great amount of affection and love for the people who you're feeding the word of God to. You, you must, you have to. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't, you know? And, and it's the same thing, you know? Any, any man or woman who comes under the teaching and the ministry of, of a man of God, uh, also has a deep affection and love for them, typically. And that's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. They will, they will not see his face again until they reach glory. But we will also see not every one of these elders will. Some of them turn into wolves themselves. Okay, But this is a very sad departure. Paul knows everything is going to change once he leaves. Remember he even said that to, to Timothy, and he said that earlier. I know that after my departure, well, he says that here. We'll get to that. He knows that after he leaves, the devil's going to wreak his havoc. And he's going to raise a bunch of savage wolves into the flock. Uh, so it's a very sad ordeal for Paul in many different ways. But he's called to follow Christ. He's called to follow the Spirit. And he's bound to, by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And that's what he's going to do. He wants to go to Pentecost, remember? We had seen that last week. And... There are many reasons that, for that, possibly. Remember, that, that's, where, that's where the outpouring of the Spirit began, uh, before the Sermon of Peter. So it could very well be that this becomes a memorial for the church early on, should continue, but to look back on that grand event where God, who had promised this throughout the whole Old Testament, had actually did it, that great day, that great day of first fruits, that harvest of first fruits. So that's probably why he's wanted to go. It just is a remembrance of what had happened on that great day. But he is bound to the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and he knows what's going to happen when he does leave. And that's another reason he's exhorting these elders, though. Okay. Okay. So 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So we've already talked about the blood of men and how he's innocent because he, is, he has not kept anything back. Okay, Now, he has not exhausted the Bible. When he says, uh, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, he's not saying, and we've considered every single little word in the Bible, and I've exposited the whole thing, and so you have every single, all the information about God and his word that you can have. That is not what he's saying. He's basically saying, I've omitted nothing. I have left nothing out. I have... I have I determined to share and declare to you the whole counsel of God, the entire, all, the whole thing. Okay. Oh, other manuscripts actually have, so that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Other manuscripts have, have this reading, uh, the blood of his own, meaning, so basically meaning Christ, which is actually kind of, uh, it, it's fantastic. If this is the phrasing, and it really doesn't matter. Either way, this, this is true. But if this, if this is the actual rendering that it should be, then basically it's, it's, it's linking the blood of Christ to being basically the blood of God. 
Okay, and, and there's a lot there that we will, you know, get back to again, God willing, at some other time. But that it's just, it could be that. But either way, what he is telling these elders still applies, because uh, this points to Christ. So that would point to. So remember when we talked about Christ being vera homo and vera deo? That's called a hypostatic union. So where he's completely all together God and all together man. So that would just link those those two together. Okay. Um, okay, so verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, real quickly because we're not going to get into this, but um, so in verse 17 he says, and called for the elders, so that, that's that's presbyteros, uh, presbyteros, um, I'm sorry, and then uh, the uh, overseers here is... Uh, um, Episcopos, so bishops. And there's just, there are a bunch of differing, this is a secondary doctrine, right? Okay, the, ecclesio, the ecclesiology of the church. So basically the church's government. Um, the, the, where, so overseers could be bishops, so episcopos, that's where we get the word bishop, um, and elders is a presbyter or an elder or a leader in the church. But we, again, we, we'll have a whole deal about the ecclesiology of the church church okay so that's just going to wait for another time but we have two different words here and that's caused much controversy in the church again you know one which is dealt with it's an intramural debate between brothers and sisters okay this isn't her heretical deal i just wanted to point that out um, because it is there and something that we'll have to get it back to but so he he tells them though take heed for yourselves and for the flock watch yourself Watch yourself. You're just as capable as becoming one of these wolves. Okay? So watch yourselves. Take heed to yourselves and to your flock. That is what the, the elders, that is what the minister is supposed to do. To tend to, to make sure he is fastened and secure in God's word and in God's abundant faithfulness. And, obviously, to, to share that and to take heed and, and to watch for his flock. For the flock. For Christ's people. For his church. That kind of a thing. Um, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So, in verse 26, he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. And then he talks about shepherding the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So, he is innocent of, all, all, uh, of, of the blood of all men. And preach, be faithful, take heed to the flock that Christ has purchased with his own blood. Okay? Okay. Okay, 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So again, even among yourselves, even among yourselves, savage wolves, he's telling this to elders, he's telling this to ministers, he's telling this to preachers of the gospel. This is what we also have to recognize in our own time. There may be, you might, we might, anybody could go under the, the ministry of a faithful preacher who is faithful for a time and then wonders. That is a story that is repeated and repeated and repeated, sadly, because it's a, it's a gradual demise, basically, and he takes the whole flock with him. I mean, by God's grace, he actually does awaken some of the church to that, and they either leave, they probably, they, the faithful ones will try to deal with it there. They'll, they'll try to rebuke the pastor and, and, and take care of the flock there as well, because we're all called to that, okay? But, 
That happens here, that happens now, and that's what he's saying. No matter how faithful you think you are, <laughs> no matter how much of a Christian you just love, take heed to yourself. Watch yourself day and night. Never assume anything. Never, certainly never assume the best of yourself. You assume the best of God and His faithfulness, but never assume. Just because, I don't know, you, maybe, maybe these men are, raise, start this great congregation. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And what tends to happen is you have to weaken your message for these people because they don't want a God of wrath. They don't want a God against homosexuality or, or any of these things. And so you've got to water down the word. And that's what happens. And then before you know it, you're a savage wolf. Obviously, the, you, so there are many wolves you have to be careful about, right? The, the wolf who's obvious, who just tries to come into the sheepfold just to steal a wolf, just, or a sheep, just plain as day. I'm a wolf. You know, there are plenty of those who don't even disguise themselves that are coming against the church. Obviously, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's what he's warning against. He's warning against, the, check your heart, check your mind, check your soul. Fasten yourself to Christ every moment of every day. Be diligent, take heed to yourself and to the flock. Okay. Oh, here we go, sorry. Verse 30, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciple after themselves. So speaking perverse things or, you know, misleading things again. So that's what the, that's what he's saying. From, even from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking misleading things to draw away the disciples after themselves to take the, the, the church of Christ and make them the church of the devil to to uh, to draw away the disciples after themselves so they want to take the disciples of christ and make them theirs make them theirs that is what men and, and men are capable of being uh, guilty of now many men start with faith great intentions and then they just think of themselves and they just think, wow, I'm really good at this. <laughs> Man, these people are so fortunate to hear everything I'm saying. And before you know it, they have drawn, they have drawn away the disciples of Christ to themselves. And they didn't even realize that's what they wanted the whole time. Beware of this. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. To keep watch. This is the testimony of Paul to the church to keep watch. Be diligent. Take heed. Okay. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So again, he's saying, therefore watch. The watchmen, you know, who are always watching for enemies coming to the gates. That's what he's saying. Keep watch. Keep watching. He was warning them night and day with tears. That's what he's saying. Keep watch night and day. Night and day, I've been warning of you th this to you with tears because I know this is coming and it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart that, that even among you, and I don't even know who, some of y'all, we could have had this great and wonderful, beautiful fellowship. And I, I know one of you, some of you, are going to fall away like this. So I've been declaring this to you with tears, knowing that maybe you are the one. Maybe you are one of them. So I've been declaring this to you with tears. So watch, watch night and day. 
So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So he's commending them to God and the word. He is, again, take heed to yourselves, watch, and I commend you to God. That is the way you take heed. That is the way you watch. I commend you to God and to his word. This is our shield. This is our short sword and shield. This prayer, this fellowship, fellowship with other believers, this is our protection. This, this keeps us in the sheepfold. This keeps us within the gates, safe from the, from the attacks of the wolves, of the enemy outside of the gates. But he's commending them to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The ultimate inheritance, but again, the inheritance of sanctification and all the riches and the glory that is procured through Christ. Again, if he is our Savior, all that he is is ours by his wonderful and abundant grace. All it, all it takes, if it is, if it is his, and it, obviously then it is his will. It's his will to feed his children. All we have to do is ask. But let us not ask like a double-minded man. Let us ask in faith, knowing that the faithfulness of our God will be exceedingly glad to do that which we ask. That's what James talks about. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. Again, remember he was a tent maker and he chose to do that. Now, ministers today do, you know, do gain a salary, okay? Uh, the, the church is called to tithe a tenth and, and that goes into the ministry, that goes to the ministers. And that's, again, another story for another time, but it's important that Paul was deliberate in making it clear that I'm not doing this for money. Okay? Remember the, uh, when he was in Thessalonica, the, the people in, uh, in Philippi were sending him money. They were sending him provisions and stuff. And he didn't get all upset and send it back. He was very grateful for that. He even thanked him for that. But he wants to make it clear, I'm not doing this for payment. Okay? If you willingly choose to send me, then I'm very grateful. Thank you for that. I, it's helped out with the ministry. But I want to make it clear to everyone here that <laughs> I've coveted no one's goods. I've expected nothing. All that uh, I have needed, I have, pro I have uh, provided with my own hands. 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, just so you know, this isn't actually, we have no uh, verse from, Paul, from Christ that says exactly that. But he does say in Matthew 10, 8, he says, freely you have received, freely give. Also in Luke 14, 12 through 14, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask yourselves, uh, I'm sorry, your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So we receive more blessings when we give than we receive. We receive the blessing of giving when we give. And, and so there's no direct quote of Christ saying it is more blessed to give than to receive, but that is absolutely parallel to everything he taught. <laughs> so, uh, so it very well could have been just orally transmitted. Again, we do not have everything that Christ said and did. 
we don't. John says there wouldn't be enough space in the world to contain all those books. Uh, so this is something that pro pro probably he did say that we just don't have recorded in our Gospels. That's all. It's simple as that. And it definitely does correlate to everything else he said. It's wonderful. Okay. And when he had said the, these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, and that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Very solemn, sad, uh, bittersweet encounter. Um, I'm sure they were grateful that they got to see him one last time, and he just didn't skip off and go. Uh, but they, at, at the end of his testimony, he takes time, drops to his knees, and praise. They all join with him in prayer. And then they all start to weep. They fall on his neck. Remember, we talked about how intimate of embrace that is. And, you know, this is a huge cry fest from a bunch of men. It's not unmanly to cry. It's not unmanly to cry. Sometimes it's the most liberating thing. Sometimes that's all you're left with. This is, this is a pain, but it's a comforted pain. You know, they won't see Paul's face any longer. But they do have this testimony. They do have this final exhortation from Paul to take heed to yourselves and to your flock. Watch day and night. I commend you to God, to his holy word. They do have that. And some will sadly fall astray. But some will not. Some will stand. Some will finish the race, just like Paul. By God's grace, I hope we do. We all do. The way I wanted to uh, kind of conclude with this, because I think it um, applies spe specifically to Paul. Um, we've mentioned, we talked about this briefly, uh, but at the end of John, John's Gospel in chapter 21, Peter's getting kind of tired of, you know, this is when, this is after Christ is, is risen. And remember, he just kind of decides when he's showing up to the, to the apostles and to the disciples. And so it seems like Peter gets a little frustrated. He's just kind of tired. And he says, I'm going fishing. He tells everybody, I'm going fishing. Some of them go along. Some of them go with him, right? So they go fishing. They're not catching anything. You know, they're just going through the whole thing and they're not catching anything. And then all of a sudden, in, in, in the morning, they look and, then, and there's this guy on shore. And he cries out to them, children, do you have any food? And they say, no, no, we haven't caught anything. And he says, throw your net on the other side. And they do. And they, it fills with, an, with a mass of fish. It's a miracle that Christ had done before uh, during his earthly ministry. And so it's filled with fish, and Peter knows it's him. Peter knows it's him. So he gets his gear back on. He had taken it off. He puts his gear back on, jumps in the water, and swims to Jesus. And then they all come up, and, and, and he helps bring in all the fish. They have breakfast, uh, they have bread and fish, so they go back to the fish sandwiches. Because again, when they fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, it was bread and fish, so they all had fish sandwiches. Uh, and that's what they had. Yeah, kind of gross, but <laughs> that's what they liked. Uh, um, but that's what they had. They, they cooked up the fish there, and they ate. After they ate, um, Jesus pulled Peter aside. He says, Peter. Simon, Barjoni, he goes back to Simon, his birth-given name. He had named him, he renamed him Peter, but he calls him Simon, Barjona. do you love me? I love the King James Version, actually. It's, lovest thou me. It means the same thing, but do you love me? It just seems kind of 
generic do you love me you know lovest thou me and and, and uh, um, Peter says Lord you know that I love you yes you know that I love you and he says feed my lambs and he again asks Peter do you love me and Peter says Lord you know that I love you and remember remember the two different Greek words you started with agape and, and Peter's responding with phileo and I'm not going to talk about that right here so second time Peter do you love me and Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Um, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Right? Third time, Peter, or Simon, Barjona, do you love me? And this time, Peter gets distressed. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Why do you ask me these three times? Lord, you know that I love you. He becomes distressed. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Now, briefly... So the first one is feed my lamb, feed my lambs. Those are the young. So a lamb is basically a sheep that is under 12 months old. That's all that is. So it's just a young sheep. So feed even the little ones. Feed the little ones. You're called to the ministry. I've called you to the ministry. Again, remember, he probably asked him three times because he had denied him three times. But so he tells him, feed my little ones. Then he asked him again. Then he answered the same. He says, feed my sheep, feed my older ones. And he asks him again, and he tells him, tend my sheep. The shepherd, the minister, is called to not only feed his, the, the sheep with the word of God, but he's also called to tend to them, just like Paul was, uh, was uh, exhorting these elders to do. But he asks him three times, and Peter becomes distressed the third time. I think Jesus was asking him until he became distressed. It's, it's all well and good. Yeah, I saw you jump in the water. And I'm sure the, the agony, the guilt you have gone through since your denial probably lasted his whole life. But, so he continues asking, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, do you, you know I love you. Do you love me? Lovest thou me? And Peter gets distressed. I find it fascinating of our Savior to do it until it strikes his heart. It's one thing for him to ask us from moment, you know, any moment, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But then he presses it. He presses it and continues asking. Let us all do that. All the time, continually. Checking ourselves, taking heed to ourselves, making sure our love and our devotion is absolutely true and our salvation is secure and we know our Savior and we do love Him with an everlasting love because that's the same love He has given us. <laughs> John says, we love Him because He first loved us. Let us ask ourselves continually, Lovest thou him? Do you truly love him? Do you truly love him? Is there anything you wouldn't do for him? Are there limits? Are there obstacles? Are these little things that get in your way between you and him? Do you have another love above him? Because if you do, you don't love him. He has to be your first love. If you love anything beside more than him, you don't love him. 
ask, we must ask ourselves that question constantly. He asked it three times, I think on purpose, to also illustrate. It doesn't only apply to the minister. It doesn't only apply to preachers or, and so forth. This applies to all men and women, all children of God, continually asking ourselves, taking heed to ourselves that we might not fall away either, that, that, that we are bound in, this, in the Spirit, that we are linked to Christ in a, in a firm, sound, and solid link of love because He is our Savior and we are His people. See? See how that kind of came back around? We are His people and He is our Savior. His love for us has linked us to Him. Our love for Him links, us to, links Him to us. We see Him more the more we love and adore our Savior, the more He's magnified and the more He's radiant in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls. Let's ask the question each day. Lovest thou me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your abundant providence. Thank you for your faithfulness in and through your men and women, your people, all of your children. My God, thank you that you your radiance shines ever brighter each moment we seek you. That is how when we seek, you are found. You are but a moment away at all times. Come now, God. Enter our hearts and minds. Provide us with your Shekinah glory. We might radiate your light we might be your light. We might manifest your truth and your grace and your faithfulness to the ends of your to the ends of the earth. Thank you, my God. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the word of God is life.